you Yeah, yo There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here by that I'm behind you But always got you, end the discussion, nothing means more First one to offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a part take Cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, I know, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Ishmael from Dad Is Not A Now. Happy Tuesday. Also, today is my birthday. Yeah. Hey, birthday. Happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I am 42. I am blessed to be 42. But two years ago, I didn't have that mindset. Um, uh, I just felt like the world was just crap and I didn't want to be a part of it and I had the idea I had the plan that I was going to just take my life um, but it didn't work that way because I'm here <laughs> and that's the most important thing and exactly also, I'm a, I love poetry I've been writing poetry since I was 15 um, it's been a part of my life and I just thought it was important to do a show about mental health and poetry. And I'm truly in this, uh, just delighted to have these two extraordinary poets with me. Um, there are many other things, but they're exceptional poets. And I'm glad that they're on with me, talking to me. I have my man Roscoe with me, Burnham with hey. me. And then also I have the good brother Otis Messe out of the UK. How you doing, brothers? How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having us. No, thank doing you. well, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, man. This is like a birthday gift to me because I'm a, a big fan of you guys. I love your work. I love what you guys do in the community. And then also I'm thinking that I'm making a little history because I have two poet laureates on the show at the same time. That's that's pretty dope. So before we get into this conversation a little bit, talk about yourself and then talk about that accomplishment of being a poet laureate. Oh, so you want to go? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having us. Uh, and like you said, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Me and uh, we, we were just sort of rapping it about both being the first Poet Laureate and, and the trials and tribulations that come along with that. And um, yes, yeah, you know, I, 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 I can't complain. It's been a, a beautiful journey. I handed over the title in 2020 in October. So not too long ago, to an incredible poet called Warder Yassin, um, who is who is currently carrying carrying Sheffield's uh, poetic energy with her um, and doing amazing work. Um, but yeah, myself, uh, as you said, my name is Otis Mensah. Um, I often I often say I'm a hip hop artist first and foremost, and I describe myself as a poet that derived from the culture of hip hop. You know, sort of most of my uh, well, not I, I can't even say most. All of my influences, my favorite poets, my favorite historians, my favorite philosophers were somewhat uh, and in some way um, 
inspired by hip hop or my study into further thought was inspired by what I first discovered in hip hop. You know, my, my whole grasp on language really. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole whirlpool of influence. You know, one, once I discovered hip hop, once I, once I fell in love with that culture, it was like, Oh, well, what are these samples on tribe called quest? It's like, Oh, then there's this whole other culture that is introduced. Uh, and, and you, you learn the, 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 uh, the, uh, his, historical uh, chronology of them both. So um, that's been a beautiful journey, but that's really uh, how I root myself. You know, it's like, I, I believe it's a, uh, a beautiful folk art that's, that's uh, that hip hop in, uh, inhabits um, of, I guess, an ancient practice of oral storytelling that is somewhat spiritual and somewhat, um, somewhat at the core of what we are as humans, uh, as creative beings. So, uh, yeah, I just want to continue to to create um, amidst that lineage, you know? That's dope. Roscoe, you want to go, brother? Yeah, man. So um, I am Douglas Powell, artistically Roscoe Burnham's. I um, am the first poet laureate for Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so, you know, trailblazing, uh, uh, like my man Otis here. Uh, so it's, it's been a tough ride. But um, but we but you know we're, I'm glad to see that my city is like branching out and doing more and appreciating art more, which has always been a passion of mine. So uh, I'm very grateful for you to be to be the first and and yeah we're just we're really really working. I, I do a lot of work with youth empowerment, um, like ending youth incarceration, talking about mental health in communities of color, uh, talking about using art as a, a form of activism. Uh, and that's been a, a charge of mine since uh, prior prior to even being poet laureate, but um, definitely came in as one of my first missions uh, to to you know expand the art form uh, and and expanding it in these ways. So we're doing more like youth based poetry slams, more youth based workshops, community based workshops. Um, it's trying to trying to spread this love for for art and poetry and, and things of that nature. I fell in love with poetry when I was a kid. Uh, I fell in love with writing just in general when I was a kid, and fell in love with hip hop around the same time. Uh, so hip hop has had a huge huge influence. I'm a huge Outkast fan. I'm a huge Roots fan. Um, I was I was grew up listening to like Common and um, a ton of like Jay Z, Biggie, and Pac, uh, which is like a major influences for me. And then, um, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And uh, I loved hip hop, but I found my voice. I found my voice in in spoken word, uh, which I feel like the two are very closely related. I tell my students all the time that like poetry and hip hop are cousins. You know, they they're very very much related uh, in in the fact that they're they're very much driven around storytelling. Um, they're usually backed by some kind of message, uh, at least the hip hop that I grew up on. So uh, I want to continue that particular uh, tradition. And uh, I, I appreciate Otis mentioning like the uh, uh, the art of uh, the history of, of oral storytelling, right? Because it's, it's so ingrained in black culture uh, and, and the black diaspora. Uh, and so I feel like spoken word kind of picks up from from there. So uh, it's it's been a, it's been a great um, it's been a it's been a great journey, and I found uh, you know the, the thing about spoken word, at least here in the states, is that uh, it's such a small kind of niche market, and where where I'm where I and I think more spoken word artists are finding success is journeying into other arenas. So putting putting poetry on uh, in stage plays, you know, in theaters. Um, I, I myself uh, have kind of bridged the the gap between like poetry and stand up comedy. 
So like I did the um, I did the tra I did Tromedy, which is like a one hour poetry and stand up comedy special. We recently filmed the second one. It's called My, My Life is a Black Dad. Um, and just using, again, the artist storytelling through comedy and, and through poetry um, to talk about, you know, culture and uh, generational trauma, resilience, empowerment, um, and just the, all the ups and downs that kind of come with the human experience. And the, that's the one thing I love about spoken word poetry is that you, you get the human experience. And I want to touch on vulnerability. Uh, when did you... Any, one of you guys can go first, either or. When did you realize your uh, vulnerability in poetry? Like when, when you that first moment in time where you like you said, you know what, it's okay to to let loose what I'm feeling emotionally. I look. I always hesitate because I'm, I'm long winded, and I <laughs> I'm long winded. And I know it, so I never want to just jump. Yeah, me, right me in. too. <laughs> I'm I'm ultra dyslexic and and I feel like I'm often going on a dyslexic tangent <laughs> and just hoping I hit some nuggets of truth on the way, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, do, uh, do you want me to go? Uh, I'll jump in real quick because I, I want now. I promise yes, not to make this too long. Um, I I I leaned into poetry because. Um, since we talked about the juxtaposition between hip hop and spoken word, I actually leaned into poetry more in my teenage years because I found a vulnerability there that I didn't always get with hip hop. Um, hip hop had a lot of storytelling. Uh, it talked about culture, cool. It, it was a lot of bravado, but those vulnerable, very kind of human moments, sometimes I didn't get that from the, from the music and I did find it in poetry. Right. So when you when you go back and look at a, a young James Baldwin or Maya or Langston or um, even even Gil Scott, who was more political, you still got a lot of what's what are you feeling? What are you feeling inside? And so I needed I needed more of that. And I was really suicidal as a teenager. I had already had a handful of suicide attempts before I even turned 18. Um, I leaned into poetry because I was able to like open up in a way that I wasn't really able to open up anywhere else. And so that has become a large mainstay in my poetry. Even now, I, I pull from a lot of personal experiences and I don't I don't um, internalize that anymore. If it if I feel it, it finds a way onto the page um, so that I'm not bottling it all up. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've used poetry purposely for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I was in a, somewhat of a desperate need to find an expressionistic outlet as a teenager. Um, you know, dealing with the existential angst that a teenager does, but also uh, additional battles with, with uh, race and identity and uh, wrestles with, I guess, feeling uh, confused and, and not understanding uh, how society had placed me, uh, being confused with how I was racialized, but also being confused of where I fit. Um, and I relied on hip hop to to a large extent to to sort of give me that. And also, uh, I, 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 I believe I felt a, somewhat of a, on a subconscious level, a pressure to meet somewhat of a, a, a hyper-masculine standard, you know, sort of. Mm -hmm. um, that was what I was 
I guess looking up to as I as I fell in love with grime um and got into grime music which it was a beautiful thing because it was it was youthful and it was authentic for for what was going on in Britain and we were writing raps in the back of uh on the back of school books and having clashes in the schoolyard but I think at some point just for me personally not to not to apply this experience to everyone else I realized that I I I was replicating my uh, insecurities and pretense and projecting that into the art form that I was participating in. At some point I had a, I had some sort of enlightenment moment or realization, if you will, and just said, whoa, like I'm, I'm doing this. Um, you know, it's like, this isn't me. And I was in, that's when I start, uh, began that search and, and hip hop was there. And, and somewhat it felt a, a somewhat of an aligning of the stars because, uh, you know, my dad was a hip hop DJ as I was growing up. My mum was a poet on on a personal level, but I had never connected these dots. So um, when I found hip hop, I think it came through uh, the beautiful vehicle that is the album, The Roots, Things Fall Apart. And I was like, what is this? Like, what? This is so vulnerable, but it's also so gruesome and, and it doesn't have to be sort of beautified. It's truly beautiful, but it doesn't have to be beautified. And that really, um, and when I say beautified, I mean somewhat in a, in a in a shallow way like it right. doesn't have to be uh commodified or modified in a capitalistic sense and though i didn't have the the uh vocabulary and caliber to verbalize that i think i felt it i i would have just uh put it down to authenticity wow this feels so real this feels so true to self how can i participate in that how can i understand the language game that is existing within this body of work um and the more i got into hip hop, the more I just wanted to understand it as a cultural uh, entity. Um, and I less, I less, I guess in the last three or four years, less started to think about hip hop, like I must be consuming the music that is known as rap music, but more so started to think about how I can see the world through this, through what this beautiful culture had taught me, this cultural entity, how it shaped me. But what it did teach me is that I can manipulate language. Um, you know, I write this in my book as a sort of homage to hip hop culture. It taught me that I could manipulate language to my own volition and to my own therapy. And with that came vulnerability and with that came questioning society's systems of oppression, uh, questioning hypermasculinity, questioning um, capitalism, even when I didn't realize I was doing it, you know? So yeah, hip hop taught me that journey of vulnerability was a real tangible journey I could take. And, I, and love I, uh, <laughs> I, I love this kid. I love this kid so much already. So in the future, if you guys want to do an IG live, you guys should do an IG live where you guys. Just oh, I'm I'm down. Yeah, <laughs> Let's do it. Like yeah, <laughs> but I, I love how connect, connecting the dot when it comes to vulnerability, right? And mm -hmm. what I love about your guys, what you guys do, is you cut your own lane in this world, saying it's okay to talk about I'm not okay. Cause I know that's the one thing in our culture, if you go to hip hop, is to not talk about that. You know, it's, it's weak to be vulnerable. You know, you're, you consider a punk if you, if, if you cry, if you show any kind of emotion. So can you kind of unravel that to me with your work of what you guys are doing is to, to, you know, say, you know what, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not okay. You know, I want to tell you what I'm going through. So I think where that's shown up most for me currently in this version of myself is talking more about fatherhood. So I have, I have two kids, I have a 14 year old daughter and I have a four year old, I will, he just turned five, so I have a five year old son. 
Um, and so I've, I've talked about masculinity before and what that really looks like and how kind of arbitrary these parameters are that we set for masculinity uh, and how those things change constantly over time. You know what I mean? About what makes you soft or what seems effeminate or what seems or what can emasculate you. I mean, I remember I'm, you know, I was born in the 80s. I remember when you couldn't really you couldn't wear an earring like, you know, wearing an earring was weird. Right. That was a female thing to do. It was a woman thing to do. But then Michael Jordan started wearing an earring and then everybody, every guy thought it was cool. Right. I remember when you couldn't wear pink. And then Cameron started wearing pink and then everybody thought it was cool. So the parameters have always changed. Right. So these these rules are always arbitrary. And what makes a man and what's, what men are allowed to feel has been encased in that as well. Right. If you were vulnerable, if you talked about your feelings, if you said you were sad or depressed, then you were considered soft or, you know, things of things of that nature. And so I want to end that cycle with my children in general, my daughter and my son, especially, who's probably going to get it more, you know, more so than my daughter will, you know what I mean? About having to like be tough, be hard, be um, be stoic uh, all the time when it's just, it's very unrealistic. At the, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's dehumanizing to take those uh, emotions, to take access to those emotions away from uh, a particular, you know, gender identity, it's, it's foolish. Uh, and so the charge for me recently has been to talk about how as a father, I'm, I'm, going to change that with my children. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want you to to find whether it's them looking for a partner as they journey into adulthood, right? If your partner can't communicate to you, if your partner can't be vulnerable with you, that's a red flag. You know what I mean? Y'all need to discuss these things before you journey into something serious. And adversely, you also need to be a person who can properly express how you feel, good, bad, or indifferent, um, because internalizing those things can tear you apart. So it's, it's really been like now in my work, I talk a lot about fatherhood and about how through my journey as a, as a parent, I want to start to destigmatize the type of the, the, the ridiculous, um, the ridiculous, uh, 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 you know, restrictions that we put on men and what they're allowed to feel and how they're allowed to express themselves. Definitely. And real fast before you, you answer Otis, one of my favorite poems that you did was called Kiss. And you, you know, recited a poem about kissing your son because you know in our in our masculinity world, that's considered taboo, like kissing your child. You know, I kissed my stepdad on the cheek. You know, he would freak out, but at the end of the day, he would appreciate because he 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 let his guard down and was like, you know what, you know, he appreciates what I do. So, can you kind of talk about that? So yeah, so look, and I grew up in a household, and it's funny because I grew up with nothing but matriarchs, right? I grew up in a house with my my mom, my grandmother, my aunt, and my my great grandmother. So and my dad wasn't around. I didn't really have a good relationship with my uncles. But even the women in my in my life weren't really affectionate towards us because you couldn't really be that way with your boys because then that would make them soft. That would make them, you know, they wouldn't know how to be men if they if you treated them that way. And so it's it's been. <laughs> I wanted that as a kid, you know what I mean? Like I wanted more affection from the people who I love, you know what I mean? The people who were raising me, um, male, female, or otherwise, right? And so now having kids, my, my kids will tell you, I am the kissing and hugging dad. You're gonna get, you're gonna get all these kisses and hugs, yo, every day, all day before school, after school, when I get home, you getting all these kisses 
all, like all the time. So I'm super affectionate now because it shouldn't be a taboo thing, right? I love my children. You know what I mean? Like I, I want them to know. I want them to. Sh- I want them to see that I love them, not just because I'm around, not just because I'm bringing home groceries, but like come here, hug me. Are you feeling upset? Like let me console you. Like I, I want to be that parent. You know what I mean? My mom is kind of like that with my me and my brother now because we're adults and she doesn't feel like she has to raise us. But growing up, she she wasn't that type at all. And I wanted that. I wanted that a lot. That's dope, man. Uh, Otis, you want to go talk about finding your vulnerability through, through, you, through, through poetry? Go ahead, brother. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, so beautiful to hear you say and express express that with, with, with such clarity and... Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 incredible to know that there are parents, you know, raising the future with that mind state, you know, so who are present to express that emotion. Um, yeah, so that's that's beautiful. Yeah, uh, um, I guess one thing that I that that really struck me about what you said, and I I, I don't think I could have verbalized it myself, um, but it's it's sort of when you uh, when you realize how. Um, changeable these standards are that's when it's it starts to get spooky when you start to realize oh actually like yeah one day it was it was not okay for me to wear the pink one day it wasn't okay for me to uh, to rock the earring and now it's okay and then this continues to happen with time and also just you know this idea that it's so contingent that it's so uh shakeable and then also the fact that once you start to notice how arbitrary uh, arbitrary it is, it, you you start to see how they feed into different uh, systems of power. You know, if I'm upholding a certain level of hyper masculinity, which means that I can't express emotion, which means I'm holding on to that uh, onto that hurt, then I'm probably going to continue that cycle of hurt in my perpetuated actions, and then that keeps me oppressing others. Um, you know, m- most most recognizably, women and and, exactly. and femmes in our in our society. So once you start to realize the cycle of uh, perpetual abuse, because it is abuse, and and it's not only uh, on a personalized level, because of course we do we you know we we act on a personal level, but really what we're doing is we're we're when we when we fall to victim to these systems is we're carrying out public and societal and historic uh, uh, conditioning, you know, it's like, and, and once you start to realize that, and once you start to realize that these, these things have been uh, set in place in order to keep capitalism functioning at its highest value. And us, you know, if I was to stop and say, you know what, I just need, I need, I need a day to sort of, and I, you know, I'm not talking about uh, self-care in the way that capitalism has modified self-care, you know, it's like self-care now means, Buy yourself a Ben and Jerry. You notice how sneaky it is. It's buy yourself a Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> Treat yourself to a pair of Nikes. Notice how self-care all of a sudden has this interlink with all these brands, these mirage of brands. And it's like, it's it, it's infuriating to see how the system uh, finds a way to usurp any any sort of revolutionary idea, you know? So it's taking that apart and, and, and saying, well, okay, like if I was to process my emotions, perhaps I wouldn't be able to go to my job for, for a month, maybe six months. Like if I was to really process what happened to me as a child and then during teenagehood and, and let's say uh, processing childhood trauma or anything, anything that you're going through in life, which we really need to do in order to the function, 
if we were to do that to its fullest effect, capitalism wasn't function. So the straws on the camel's back start to pile up and the camel starts to get weary, you know? Um, and, and that was almost a, a journey I, I had to take on a very personal artistic level for myself because I did start uh, my creative practice on the basis that yes, number one, it was therapeutic for myself. Um, but on a justification level, I felt like because my favorite hip hop artists had felt, uh, had allowed me to feel less alone because they were open about their thoughts of suicide, about, uh, depression, about their anxiety, their identity, their, uh, you know, wrestles with identity. I felt less alone because they'd expressed it. There was a sense of community created. Um, and I wanted to replicate that, or at least I wanted to say I was writing, uh, as a means to replicate that when perhaps sometimes I actually wasn't. And I, I, I this is where I had to start to critique my own way of thinking and I think capitalism can find a way to usurp your justification so I had to question myself was it about being the most vulnerable all the time meaning the most authentic meaning uh, for the community or was it to you know uh, get on the next biggest stage was it to um, you know get on the next biggest magazine was vulnerability just a means to get more numbers in the room in which which maximizes profit which maximizes social hierarchy so I had to pick all these things apart and I realized that uh, what truly matters is is me making sure uh, that I'm okay on an emotional level and that it doesn't need to have this uh, product-driven outcome, that it doesn't need to have this thing of me saying, well, yes, I did it for me, but look what I did for everyone else sort of thing. It's, it's me and my extensions of me, if we're okay, uh, that being my community, my circle, my village, uh, if we're okay because I'm not perpetuating systems of oppression amongst them, then probably that will be able to spread to our wider village and our wider community. So once I started to realize that, I started to say, hey, I'm actually just writing. Yes, I'm being vulnerable for my own for my own survival, for my own creative thriving and, and mental health. Um, but I'm also just doing this because I want to add to uh, the archive of what it means to exist right here in this space and time. And that that's important en enough. And me processing my own issues uh, is important enough because it means it puts an end to that uh, perpetual cycle of, of violence, you know. So though I, I uh, you know, so I've, I've instated that in a very, it sounds very simple and very idealistic. Uh, it's very hard. And and it's, it's a constant reminder. It's a constant reminder for me to not feel depressed when I don't get on the on the stage that I want to, when I don't see my uh, followers growing. And then I have to pull myself back and say, hey, why am I doing this in the first place? What 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 is you know, what what am I getting wrapped up in? So yeah, it's a it's a constant uh it's a constant journey really, and it's it's not easy at all. No, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And that kind of pivot me to this question is I know we had this conversation before on a previous podcast on the high creativity, but it goes to what do you define home? What does home look like? Often our perception of home is mm -hmm. these four walls and this ceiling. That's home. You know, home is where you grew up. But one of the one things I love what you said, uh, uh, Roscoe, before, I don't want to mess it up, is that you aren't your yesterday or something like that he said something like that you're not your family's past so right. can you kind of touch on that because i know we were going into deep about vulnerability but i think that goes with home too it's finding a place where you feel vulnerable so who want to touch touch on that a little bit so it's uh it's interesting because so um 
my one of my one of my closest friends she, she passed away uh uh just a, a few years ago and um today is her birthday and uh or yesterday yesterday was her birthday and she she really helped create you know who Roscoe Burnham's is now she she ran this uh uh kind of open mic spot in in the city uh that gave this platform to artists who were really trying to grow and then um, from there, she was doing more events with colleges and different stuff up and down, you know, throughout the states. And she would be like, "Hey, like, I, I like what you're doing. I like your message. Come, come with me. Come do this thing." And um, she would tell me all the she she told me all the time. She's like, "You got to find your tribe. You know what I mean? You got to find home. You know what I mean? Your relatives are are relatives, but family. You know, you create that. And for so for me, home home does mean community." It means like-minded individuals who also want to see positive change happening where we are, and building and creating and um, and and building and creating with those with those people, um, and then and checking and checking on on their safety so that they can continue to grow and change and, and things of that nature. So at, at that point, th at this point, that's what home is for me now, right? It's it's building with that community of people to create more opportunities and, and a safer environment for the the Otis's of the world. You know what I mean? These these guys who are coming in who, who are also really optimistic and like-minded and need a safer environment to, to grow and blossom. I like that. Otis, you want to touch it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really beautiful. Um yeah. I it's it's uh I'm 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 constantly battling with the um with the concept of home, you know? Uh and it's and it's ever changing. My definition is ever changing. Um I think I realized that yeah, and you're right, you're right to bring up home because it, it's so inseparable from from our internalizations of the world. Um and our our definition of vulnerability and then you know our actions and what we decide to do at the course of our life. Um, I guess home is somewhat of an anchor to all of that, that trajectory. Um, and I, I started to realize that, that home for me is, re is really sort of ephemeral, it, it, meaning it, the, it doesn't hold a, a lot of weight. Um, I, you know, people often have this uh, blind, um, I guess, loyalty to a, a specific place or a specific region or a specific group of people. Um, and I, I think naturally because I've, I felt isolated in the past or because I, you know, when I, when I first started um, getting into hip hop and, and started to isolate myself and think, okay, what, you know, what is it that I like? What is it that I believe? I think a lot of that, um, at the beginning was fed by a uh, uh, sort of like a bit of an ego boost. I guess, uh, yeah. I guess a, a, a route of, of separatism, trying to be a separatist and not to say that's, that's necessarily bad, but I think it was coming from an egotistical place. It was like, well, okay, you're going to go to the house party. Well, you know, what? I'm going to, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to stay in my room. I'm going to write. And, and somehow that's morally superior, you know, or somehow that's intellectually superior. Um, so I had to critique that and question that myself because I think, for the most part, I was actually craving the community that they might have been engaging with at the house party. You know, I just didn't feel uh, well enough to 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 assimilate or fit into it or, you know, uh, get the beautiful aspects of it. So 
uh yeah i i don't know where i'm where i'm going with this but i i i just think that my definition of home uh is also inseparable from my my journey of of questioning my own need to sort of separate myself from the crowd and often that means that well i have a repulsion to a sort of patriotism or or, or a certain loyalty to a specific patch of land so yes i love I love my city of Sheffield, but really what that means is that I love my mum. It means I love my dad. It means I love my my friends. And it means that I loved that one moment where I discovered that I could perform a poem at, at a specific venue, as opposed to I love this patch of land. For me, that that's it, it means nothing. It's void of of any any weight or philosophical reasoning or, or I guess wisdom really. So and 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 I, I'm often thinking about how uh blind loyalty and 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 i guess patriotism can uh trick us into into being a part of the the you know a system of hurt so yeah i'm often questioning that myself and i'm 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 questioning what home is and i started to realize that home is just something that i carry uh with me it's it is my family it is my my uh, repertoire of of memories and experiences as they recreate themselves it is the fact that i'm in love with hip hop and that's you know that's why hip hop was so important because it was like all these people uh that i'm discovering through the internet you know existed 10 years 20 years prior to me um across the globe yet somehow they're using this in, uh, universal language that, that i feel less alone now i've heard it and and somehow i feel like it's speaking to my spirit and i feel somewhat uh at harmony participating in it you know so um that's the home that i carry on with me and 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 i guess vulnerability is sort of embedded in that um yeah Yeah, I I I don't know. I don't know what I was talking about. I don't know if no, that makes any no, sense. <laughs> it, it, it made a lot of sense, man. I, yeah, it does. I thought I was I thought I was talking to Dr. Cornell West for a minute. You know? <laughs> that, well, he's my favorite. So, that that's a blessing. <laughs> But I think to his point, um home home much like love starts within and then spirals oh. out, right? You know what I mean? So, um just in the same thing about talking about community, right? But you have to have a sense of that in yourself first. Um, before you can extend that to somebody else. And I, and I agree with that. And this goes to my next question. When you talk about home vulnerability, it starts with self. And I know a lot of people say, yeah, poetry is the way to go. When you're going through something, you write it down, you write it down. But also, it's not like a question, but I'm going to put it out there. There are also um, uh, side, of, uh, side effects to it. For example, like if you're dealing with uh, depression, And if you're just writing a poem, that's cool. But how are you dealing with it? What are you doing to deal with your situation? And it goes back to what you were saying about vulnerability comes from self. While you're writing this and you're sharing this beautiful piece to the world, but you're still broken inside. So can you kind of talk about that too? About you got to put into the you got to put the work in and in, in dealing with your your situation. Uh, as well as keep on writing um great 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 uh uh great work all right so this is where i put my mental health hat on okay so listen <laughs> so you know one of the things that this mental health and and the conversations around mental health are, and mental illness is really important to me uh because i've had my own my own struggles with it uh and and it's because i think people have a very finite view of what that means and what it means to overcome these things or how to overcome these things 
So particularly in art communities, in art communities, we use a lot of this as a therapeutic process, drawing and painting, comedy, poetry, hip hop, singing, whatever, whatever your art is, dance. So we use a lot of these things as a therapeutic process, but therapeutic does not mean therapy, right? So get get your ass a therapist, okay? You need to get, get you a daggone therapist, all right? Go see a, an actual professional who can help you process the trauma that you have been internalizing for so long and give you these other healthy outlets and give you a, a way to really sound off to a responsible person who is trained to deal with all these different types of mental health issues. Um, otherwise, you're just writing a great poem. You know what I mean? Like you're you're gonna write the great poem, but you haven't healed from the trauma. And and honestly, and this is speaking from a personal perspective and, and what I've seen within the poetry community here in the States, they write the great poem that spawns from the trauma, but they never heal from the trauma. So then they actually have to kind of rehash the trauma. They have to kind of take themselves back to that traumatic space in order to give this very like passionate performance. And they become dependent on that. They become dependent on that. So they never go through the process. So many artists never go through the process of trying to heal from what created the poem. You know what I mean? So you're constantly reliving it, constantly reliving it, constantly reliving it. And then what happens is, and, and I'm, a, uh, this, I'm, I'm, I'm semi-spiritual. So I feel like wherever your attention goes, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna grow. That's the type of energy you bring back to yourself. Well, if you're always reliving the trauma, you're always reliving the trauma, and you're not fixing the behaviors, you're not fixing the trauma responses, then you're gonna continue to live out more traumatic experiences like the ones that you haven't healed from, right? So there has to be something else outside of the art to help you move forward to become a better version of yourself. All right. Now, that's if, if you're dealing with uh, any any level of mental illness, if that means you need to go see a mental health professional. Cool. That means you need to start taking like antidepressants or or whatever, what have you. Cool. You have to find what works for you. But it 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 it, it by itself cannot just be art alone. Art is huge. Art is is a huge passion of mine. I am a firm believer in using it as a therapeutic process. But that does not mean it is a substitute for all of the other things that come with actually overcoming or trying to overcome whatever traumatic experiences may still be ailing you. Mm, that's true, very true. Otis, you wanna to touch that, brother? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate the clarity that you're providing, uh, Roscoe. It's like, uh, I feel like I need you like to offer your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Just to clean mine out, and it's like, uh, no, that's that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I, I think, you know, as 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 poets, also as as artists in general, um, it's a, it's a solitary. It can be a solitary existence, you know. And really, what we're looking for when we're when we're talking about therapy 
is yes, we're we're talking about getting something off our chest, meaning you know nobody's watching. We we you know it's like we you, you talked about therapy. I, I guess that's the beauty in the trust relationship between the 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 person, the patient, and the therapist, or the person and the therapist, is that there's a there's a there's a trustful bond there. You know, I trust that what I'm saying is confidential, or I trust that what I'm saying is going to be understood, or I'm not going to be triggered or hurt further. You know, there's not going to be malicious intent, and and that's I guess the same. Uh, reasoning that I'm taking to the page, except the page isn't alive and animating. So you know, it is a very safe bubble, and I guess that bubble can can remain a bubble if that's all you're using. Exactly what you said. Um, but yeah, I you know, it's like th there there is a beautiful uh, therapy to that, or uh, there is a beautiful therapeutic uh, act to sort of writing something down on the page, getting it off the chest. But really, what's therapeutic about that is expression. And if we, if that is stopped at the page, then, you know, we need to learn to practice that in the rest of our lives, just as you said, Roscoe. So it's like, that's, that's the golden nugget, the golden nugget that we're learning from art that, that our society doesn't allow to flourish is expression. And, and you saw that, that space where emotional, uh, uh, emotional intelligence can be nurtured, emotional understanding can be nurtured. That moment of reflection can be nurtured. But as I was saying, Really what we need is a sense of community. Really what we need is to connect to another human being who hears and listens to us. Um, the, the other issue with getting sort of wrapped up in, in and I, you know, I'm, I'm speaking, but these aren't dead words. This is very much sort of, uh, I'm constantly wrestling with this. I'm constantly, uh, you know, I, I recently wrote a, an EP that I'm, I'm very proud of uh, on, a, on a sort of poetic level, on a musical level, I really appreciate what, you know, what I've done or it's like what I've got out of a certain level of pain, but I'm so apprehensive to, to release it out into the world. And that's because exactly what you said, you can just relive that certain pain over and over and again, especially if you, you know, a lot of us artists build careers on, on, on a, on a catalog of work. And if that catalog of his work is, is based on our, our, uh, our uh, moment in a specific, uh, our our place in a specific moment of pain, then that's just going to be ever perpetuated. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. Really, um, yeah, it's 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 really tough, and I think we just have to constantly remind ourselves that that this is the end. The page isn't the end, you know. Um, it's hopefully a vehicle to connecting to a, a emotional discourse to um, a, a more tangible, soulful human connection, you know. Uh, that's deep, man. But also, I, I'm going to um, coin this phrase. I don't know if you guys agree with me. I'm going to call it trauma assimilation. And through mm -hmm. trauma is how we assimilate with other people. And usually we share our stories with other people just to connect with people. But overall, the situation with that is that if you don't come out with a solution to how you deal with this um, trauma, it keeps a legacy yeah of trauma so can you kind of talk about it i use trauma assimilation but a lot of people use trauma bonding but mm. you know i was just about to say that like <laughs> i was just about to be like yo trauma bonding is a very real thing right some people are <laughs> some people are in whole marriages because of trauma bonding right? <laughs> some people are in whole but when it when it comes to poetry can you talk about that aspect of trauma bonding through poetry I just think that to some extent it can be a little debilitating and a little dangerous to be so heavily attached to trauma 
that your your art and your identity is so centered, it can become like centered around it. Because the idea is that we don't want to continue to go through trauma, right? The goal is to not continuously go through trauma. We we get our traumatic experiences out on the page and then we share it because we know other people will can can hopefully identify with that and we don't feel so alone in the world. That's great. That's a, that's a great thing to do. It does help you connect with other people. But do you want to stay in this traumatic space? Right. For me, that answer is no. Right. And so as I journeyed into into further into my writing, particularly from as a storyteller who pulls from traumatic experiences, pulls from a lot of observation, a lot of self-reflection. I'm doing this because I want to be able to see this, see this through, see this on paper, see this on a stage, help somebody else identify with this. And, and then I want to move forward. You know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to stay in that space because that space is painful, right? Even in the idea of sharing my story in hopes that other people can connect with it, I don't want them to stay in that space either. And so I, for me personally, I had to start reflecting on what I wanted to accomplish in my work overall, because um, to, to, your, to your point, it can be a distraction, right? It can kind of veer us off the, the path that we, we were on as far as like what our poetry is being used for. And so now in my work currently, it's like, where's the resilience? Where's the triumph? That doesn't mean that every everything was a win for me, right? If I'm talking about depression, if I'm talking about suicide, I was in a very dark time in my life. It, it, it is what it is. Not every you know story has this like happy ending, but I'm still here to tell the story. Where is the triumph in that? So resilience is now like a large part of my work, you know what I mean? Because I don't want to leave people in just all the dark and scary stuff. I want to be like, okay, well, this is what happened. Th this is very real. This happens to, to more than just me, but here I am to tell it. And that that by itself is the win, even if there's nothing else there. So I, I really think as artists, we, we, have to, we have to find that. It doesn't have to be in every single thing that you create, but where is the resilience? In after the pain, how were you able to balance back? Where where are those poems so that somebody has something to hold on to other than just the trauma? That's so true, man. Or if you want to touch it, oh man, it's it's really like tough. I feel like we're in like a cipher. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Let's uh, let's bring that energy to podcasts and and poetry. Cipher energy. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm with it. Uh, no, no, everything that you said is 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 beautiful. Um, and and I I totally agree. And I noticed that cycle within myself actually, uh, because there's been moments as an artist where it's like, um, maybe maybe five years prior to this moment right now, where I've looked at my art and I've said, well, for this, I've I've been happy for three months. I don't, I, I don't have anything to say. I don't have anything to do. As I remember when my relationship was, was, was in a place that I, that I felt was beautiful and that I felt that everything was working. It was like, well, yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to write. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm totally fine. I'm content. And I was like, Oh, is this what it means to, to just be a human? Like to not have to get these thoughts out on the page to just enjoy life. Um, and there are different moments like this, uh, where I've, where I've sort of had that contradiction. And then all the, the fear and turbulence comes. It's like, Oh, what, am I still an artist? Um, 
and you know, I don't want to perpetuate a stereotype that's that's not true. But I remember someone saying to me, and 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 not to quote me, but someone said to me once about it's, well, it's the Marvin Gaye effect, and I was like, well, what do you mean? And they were like, well, you know, when you've got all these beautiful songs that, and I don't know, I don't know how true this was based on their their life, but they were saying when you've got all these beautiful songs coming out of a specific place. Um, you need that specific place to keep creating beautiful songs, and so that was that's always a fear of mine. Uh, and I am aware I am aware of it, but I am also aware of the fact that trauma is very complex and and very multi-layered and multifaceted. And a lot of these people who are, let's say, in these trauma bonds on on an artistic level, but also on a personal level, I think we've got to understand that a lot of the time that's because of uh, core survival. That's that's like the very base need for them to continue existing. Um, and I think whether they are existed as a as a as an outlet or not, um, that that trauma would be perpetuated in their lives, nevertheless. And I think sometimes art is just allowing some soulful escapism from that. Um, I mean, I do totally agree. I, I do totally agree, and I do see the danger of perpetuating hurt. Um, I, I also don't want to. I, I also don't want to reduce and oversimplify trauma because people aren't just letting go of trauma. It's not like we're we're going through a, a week of therapy and then that's it. You know, it's it's all good. Um, it, it is a lifelong journey, and sometimes, you know, I think about Kid Cudi, and I think about how Kid Cudi was a a gateway drug for me to understand my own uh, emotional uh, awareness, if you will, in terms of the framing of hip hop and art. And you know, I think about how many people say about Kid Cudi. Um, you know, Kid Cudi saved my life. If Kid Cudi had not have released Man on the Moon, I would not be alive today. Um, and I think about Kid Cudi's work, and yes, it is it is multifaceted to a certain extent. It, it is multi-layered, but also largely it, it stays in this one frequency and this one feeling. And that feeling is of depression and that feeling is of hurt. And yes, surviving, surviving that suicide and surviving that depression. Um, and yes, he is... I, I imagine perpetually uh, creating uh, a lot of his work from that zone, but he's also perpetually saving people from that zone. Newcomers of Kid Cudi who didn't understand uh, that, you know, you, you, you can wear pink and you can talk about your feelings or, you know, when we have these simplistic realizations, sometimes we need someone uh, there to, to, to offer that moment of camaraderie in our hurt. So, I, I totally agree. I think it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy and we can feed, uh, like like you were saying, trauma bonds. But I also think us as, uh, I mean, I don't, not to, not to, uh, I don't know your, your, our, our educational backgrounds as a collective, but us as not psychological professionals, I think that it's really, um, it's really easy to, to oversimplify how, how hard it is to get over real trauma you know and um sometimes those those bonds are just keeping us alive and we need them you know so so it's it's nuanced and it's paradoxical um so i i, I see i see the truth in, in in both what you're saying and and the fact that we need it you know as a necessity sort of thing so yeah no I, and i agree with that too but also do you feel like there's a order them to it too like you have yes that you know they give this trauma of great work mm -hmm. And yeah. then they take their life. So, um, yeah. do anyone want to touch that?
Yeah, I mean that. I mean, you're hundred percent. You're hundred percent right, and of of course, we've got a history in our artistic community of, of that happening. And I think it is for the for the reasons that you outline and the issues that you outline, but also because uh, the expression, uh, the the art as a vehicle to expression, is is step number one. And if society is not allowing for step number two, um, it becomes very hard uh, to continue that step of progress or to continue coming out of that space. And I think, you know, it's, I think we could look at the artist who that has happened to and of course not blame the person that that has happened to, but we can say, well, you know, you surrounded yourself with those thoughts or we surrounded yourself with those ideas. Well, you kept, you kept creating albums about those well, I think, yes, they kept creating those albums and they kept, but that's because they were still in it. And usually they were still in it because there wasn't, um, there wasn't a, an outlet in the external world for them to carry that expression into healing. You know, the expression is, is, is relief. It's like escapism. How, as you were saying, Roscoe, how do you then take that to healing? How do you then take that uh, as a sort of evolutionary progressional progress? Uh, process um, and usually society stands there there is so many issues with our mental health system there are so many issues with the way we have been conditioned by capitalism which is ultimately ultra individualized we are so individualized that even to you know even to our own detriment it makes us so hard to connect to one another um so the answer to that is 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 gray and it's vague, but I believe there is hope in it, and I I believe this is where art can be a vehicle, but also many things can be a vehicle. I guess using that artistic mindset uh, mindset in 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 many realms of the world, in many systems of the world, and that's let's nurture spaces, let's nurture um, safe spaces where we where we can allow these uh, uh, emotional conversations to flourish, and that we're not going to punish people. Uh, for being hurt and 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 uh, expressing their hurt, you know. Exactly. So I so Otis is one hundred percent right. I don't think it's it's good to oversimplify what it means to experience trauma or what it means to to battle with um, any any level of mental illness and mental health issues. Uh, and and I I'm a, I'm a I'm very transparent about my own personal battles with depression and suicide ideation and how these things are an ongoing struggle, right? These things are an ongoing thing that I have to be consistently aware of. Um, but that's why I'm, I'm a proponent of having as many resources uh, accessible as possible um, in order to move past these episodes that may arise at any given moment, right? So again, not just using the art, but having all these other, these other things in place so that you can properly, uh, um, you know, process what you know what you're what you're experiencing, uh, and so you know, for you know, sometimes that that looks a lot different for from person to person. Um, I think that the the martyrdom is is really like a consumer thing. You know, what I mean, I don't think that um, Robin Williams was attempting to be a martyr. I don't think that Mac Miller was trying to be a martyr, right? I, I think that the consumer, the fans turn them into these icons for for the wrong for the kind of you know kind of for the wrong reasons right even though they they gave us great art prior to their deaths like it, it they're the way that they pass ends up kind of outliving outliving the work and i think that's unfortunate uh and i think that if they had a say so in how they were how they were remembered how they were deified then they wouldn't want it to be like that you know what i mean so I think we have to be really cognizant about that as um, as consumers of the art, 
not to do that. Um, not to, not to do that to them, you know what I mean? Like, and, and whether that's them taking their own life or, or being in, a, in involved in uh, a lifestyle that was detrimental. I think about what we did to Biggie and Pac and how we turned them into these gods as a result of a, of a very dangerous lifestyle. And, and um, it, it kind of, it overshadowed the great music that they gave us. You know what I mean? The beef, the, the controversy. Um, and Robin Williams, Robin Williams was a death that hit very close home to me, home for me, because he was a person who used comedy to kind of push through a lot of pain. Um, so to now only have conversations about Robin Williams when we talk about artists and suicide, it hurts because I'm like, but look at all the joy, look at all the joy he gave us. Um, like I, I'm positive he would rather us focus on that than to turn him into this like this poster boy for uh, artists and depression. So I think martyrdom comes as a result of the consumer, and I don't think that that's fair to the artist. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's a, a real solution to to that, um, and, and I think we've seen that with with the, the death of like Pop Smoke and like other artists where they become bigger after they've passed, after they've left us. Mm -hmm. um, I, you have to kind of, that would really for me, or at least seemingly seems like a shift in consciousness for the fans and for the, the people who consume the art um, um, to one, appreciate people while they're still here. Um, and then not to deify what uh, the reason why they left us. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And I know we're about to end this awesome conversation. And I think it goes back to the community, right? Um, if, if you think about it, right? Like when these artists are alive, who are the people there in their corner telling them, this is what you need to do? Right. You know, or you know what? I know you, your great art, your great music comes from trauma. How's about, you know, start working on some stuff that can uplift people, like like something positive, you know, like being with your kids um, or, or or something to that brings you joy. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it comes back to us and hearing those warning signs of the person that's next to, next to us that's crying for help. Because what I think about, I think about Marvin Gaye, I think about Donnie Hathaway. I think of other people, Robert Williams. Like they have family, they have people there that could have like been there. So I want to get your guys' feelings on that before we wrap everything up. I mean, just to just to jump in on on uh, what you said, Roscoe. I think you're hundred percent right. Uh, I think that. It, and, and you're right. It's 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 the consumer, but it's also uh, society, isn't it? So it's, it's also the system that we live in that sort of. I mean, it almost benefits from creating these martyrs because it, you know, it iconizes people. It creates icons, and then it means that okay, you can release a greatest hits album in two years' time, and that will sell better than anything. So it's the it's it's a means of the industry. Uh, perpetually keeping people in the public gaze and perpetually profit, uh, profiting from from often what is a tragedy, you know, and having and t them taking any sort of humanity from that and and finding a way to flip it into a pound or a dollar. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, yeah, I hundred percent think that's true. And 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 just to what you were saying is, uh, 
yes, it, you know, it would be such a beautiful thing if we can, if we could rely on one another and our our communities and our villages. Um, yeah, and and but but I believe that we have to sort of. Um, we have to work towards dismantling that industry standard, that uh, societal standard that um, the profit is more important, that, that, that these things are more important, that, you know, sort of like, uh, because I think many times when, if an artist has began their creative journey through expression as a means of therapy, and that's the thing that blows up, or that's the thing that gains the most accreditation, it's society that will often say, or it's the expectation that will often say, well, we need you to replicate that. Change is not good. We need you to replicate that. And, and that's how you're going to continue to harvest a fan base or whatever. So the more we, we question these standards and the more that we question, um, it's like whether growth is okay. It's like, I, I guess we're still in a society where um, we are celebrating uh, things that are so closely linked to capitalism. We was we are celebrating overconsumption. We are celebrating violence. We're, we're celebrating misogyny. Um, and you know, it, I, I, I'm not to hyper uh, flagellate the person who is who is uh, perpetuating those things through their art themselves, because often they're expressing their experience. But the fact that you've got a, a record label that might step in and, and congratulate that, and then ask the person to replicate that 10 times over, and when they can't replicate it, find somebody else who will and put those on a plateau. We, The more we sort of question that standard, uh, I feel that the better we're gonna be able to nurture a space for, for vulnerable expression, vulnerable understanding, and, and, I, and I guess um, survival. I guess it's at this point a matter of survival that we, that we understand those things and dismantle those things. I think that, um, I think what I, there's, a, there's about a 10, 10 year difference between you and me. And uh, I think what I appreciate mm -hmm. the most about your generation, uh, just, it's just one of the things is that it, it is a generation that's willing to question more, question and then be like, oh no, this doesn't work. Let's just tear the whole thing apart. You know what I'm saying? Capitalism doesn't work. Let's, mm -hmm. let's just tear it down and find something new and without fear, you know what I mean? And you know, I think that's a necessary thing for, for, for where we are now, right? We're getting to a point where we understand mm -hmm. these things are, are detrimental, these things are dangerous. Um, they haven't proven successful uh, from, an, from an emotional standpoint, right? And uh, it is bigger mm -hmm. than the dollar or, uh, you know, it is bigger than money. So, you know, how do we start to cater to people, right? How do we start to cater to people and their well-being? Like you said, self-care isn't just going to get some Ben and & Jerry's and a new pair of Nikes, right? Like self-care is based around some of the things we talked about earlier. It's finding home within yourself, finding love within yourself, finding a community, uh, a healthy community that wants to see you grow, um, processing trauma and then moving forward into, into healing and, and resilience. And But that does come with dismantling all the destructive things, uh, all the restrictive policies, all the misogyny, all the phobias that that have lasted for so long, uh, and it's time to start like destigmatizing uh, all the things centered around you know centered around some of the things that we're we're not allowed access to. So, uh, just to your point, I, I think that that's where we are now as a as a community, and we need more artists and more people in general to like start pushing, making this large push towards having those conversations and then actions to follow those conversations. And, and that's, yeah, and that's 100% right. And I think, again, it goes back to us as a community. And as a community, you know, today is my birthday. Um, 
this was a dope conversation. I normally don't ask this, but if you guys are want to, please uh, put it out there. If we could end the show with uh, a poem from both of y'all as a birthday gift to me, no pressure. You can say I, I would love that because I, I need to hear this kid. I need to hear this kid rock, man. I love the way this. I love the way his mind works. I love the way his mind works. I Likewise, need to see this kid rock, yo. Oh, Likewise. Likewise, oh, bro. Go. Go. Um, am, am I going first or are you going yeah, first? Go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, uh, thank you so much for having me a part of this conversation. Uh, it's, it's been an absolute honor. And uh, yeah, man, this is, this is dedicated to you on your birthday. I appreciate it. Um, so I, I dedicated it to you before I even chose the poem. So let me think about what poem I'm going to perform. Uh, so maybe... Okay, so I'm uh, on on the topic of mental health, on the topic of um, I guess these internal struggles and these uh, internal dialogues. I'm gonna talk. Uh, I'm gonna perform a poem that is called uh, BED, um, and BED is stands for binge eating disorder, and I guess it's. Um, this is a, 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 an exploration and homage to something that I've struggled with a lot, um, an eating disorder. And uh, yeah, this is, this is from a, a, a new collection of poetry that I'm currently working on. Um, it's a little longer than the usual poem, so, so you'll have to bear with me. Uh, but yeah, this one's BED. Shrill and shriek hurtled from twisted sheets. A rickety rudiment of planks. The paradiddle slat out of pocket. Rusty piano keys beating tiny hammers on the back. Agony and electricity stroking the spine. Carpentering words out of thunder breaking the morning skies again. I can't feel my legs. Fidget for a few. You know the drill, curled the toes, running suicides laid still. Crack each kneecap like the cocking back of a Winchester shotgun. Contort the ankle, stretch the calf out like pizza dough. Flux the body's contour into a hot metallic soup and drown the mainframe that coded last night's binge. Sliver like Nile water staining the mattress. The bottom of the bed is thirsty. Etch a note into the floorboard, staccato down the stairs Relish the tone of each step But sever yourself from whence you came Get through brekkie Scour the backs of cereal boxes for poisonous philosophy and corn syrup Battering ram the urge, swallow the trunch and sigh A banana will do <laughs> Out the door triumphant, a meal truant Drawn and quartered Head hanging like autumn droop Crushing berries beneath mallet feet. Foragers gasping with every stomp with no pick-me-up to spare. Just home-brewed toilet wine for foreign citizens. All red ink exiled by the footprint. Stick legs smothered in yellow sheen. Face heavy with a jaundice glow. Wobbly need a side cat walking platoons. Hunting a comfy leage. Cat calling with bloated tails. Veins bulging by the bark. But mine, a limp whimper. And then you crave the bed. A thick musk nests the scalp and ushers the fine ringlets into retirement. Jet and gothic, pride in every pick, tangled and estranged, a burning bush now, humming to me in roots. Clumps of cold tinged smoke, dizzying a pale god, dogly pats of soft swamp made messy, naughty and setting fire to shop fronts. 
inconveniencing the tired eyes of National Front in uniform sentry, coarse and toppling effigies of their bloodlust, chewing rind as they nail me to a tree like Christ or a missing person's poster, assurance and creme de praline still biting the bed. You make confidence out of intuition, I ostrich head the fondant icing, gorging its innards, a bunker under the burning wick, escaping sweet time, smile bursting my cheeks, teeth dusted with mosaic gold, calamitous jazz at every jaw jitter, eyes like two M-dashers, a reoccurring dream is nightmarish, pressed inside the story, like a flower head smushed between Bible pages, bedlam, and bed solace. Thank you, guys. Sheesh. Thank you so much. Thank Yo, you. Man. I don't know. I don't know. That's going to be hard, Roscoe. That's going to be hard. This guy here, man. Well. I mean, I, I, didn't, wa I didn't want it to be burdenous because I was dedicating it to you on your birthday. So uh, it's only in the vein of honesty and, and expression. But, but happy birthday, my man. Thank you so much it, for having Thank me. You, Thank you. Um, yo, man, you're dope, bro. Like you're, you're <laughs> like this kid. Yo, yo, you rock, bro. <laughs> uh, thank you so. Much. And Roscoe, don't truly say appreciate that, that. Roscoe, don't say that a lot of people. Oh man, I'm honored. Thank <laughs> you. Um, oh man, I am. I am torn now. I was gonna read something uh, specifically because we have been talking about depression. We have, particularly we have been talking about Robin Williams, um, but the the piece is very heavy. And so I don't know if I want to end on something so heavy. It's whatever you uh, do, brother. It's whatever you want to do. It's your, it's, the floor is yours. Um, all right. So I, I, I play around with satire a lot. Um, so this, uh, for Robin Williams, for Mitch Hedgeberg, for Freddie Prince, and for all the comedians who have given us life and laughter even when they were dying inside. This poem is when depression does the set. So like, um, <clears throat> I, I make jokes about death more often than I should. I laugh, I kid, I joke, I have to. You have to find a way to chuckle when you stacked your body weight in suicidal thoughts and plans and actions. When all the setups sound like a death drop, you're scared to talk and you become your favorite comedian. And it sounds, it sounds crazy, but you laugh. You laugh, forget crying. Crying is so five overdoses ago. Morbid humor, morbid humor is the new black and it's much more vibrant than my last depression. What I, what I mean is sad people just make people sad. So instead, let me tell you this hilarious passive aggressive cry for help. I got a joke. I got a joke, you ready? What do you get when you mix 13 painkillers and a noose? Rope burn and a good night's sleep. Wow. Now that's, that's comedy. Right? Or that's, that's coping, that's, that's burying scars, but better to bury than to be buried. I always say, I always say, if you can't laugh at the pain, then what can you do with it? You can't load a revolver with it, your hands shake too much. Ask me how I know. You can't punch line your car into a tree. The airbags can't take a joke. All right, I got another one. What do you call a day's worth of suicide attempts? Well, if you do it right, you call it your last day. But if you do it wrong, you call it a long day or the next day and the world will call it a cry for attention. 
I have been asked, why make light of something so dark? But when life feels asphyxiating, you're excited just to breathe. This looks like laughing. This looks like laughing, but this is gasping for air. A grateful sigh when I think about how many times the idea of death has been another gag. Okay, last one, maybe. What do you call a hilarious pun about suicide? A real wrist splitter. Wow. You know, you know what I envy about that joke? Is how it always flatlines. Wow. That, that was incredible, man. Thank you wow. so much for sharing that. Thank you, guys. This was the greatest birthday ever. For real. Now, I'm, I'm about to get emotional right now because we'll talk, man. This, this, this was the perfect gift you talked to two things I admire that I watch. <laughs> Especially with the with the with the background music in the back. <laughs> Sorry, like my my kids are like running around. I've been trying to like mute every once in a while. Like my no, son just awesome. runs in. I, I love it, man. That shows that you're an awesome dad, man. I, and I enjoyed this emotional and this great experience with you guys. And we definitely got to do this again. You guys got to connect. Seriously, I, I, I want to see you guys connect on IG because you guys, you guys together, oh my God, I, I, the poetry world ain't ready for that, man. They ain't ready. They ain't ready for y'all guys' conversation or the conversation that we had today. Man, thank you so much for, for nurturing this space for, for this conversation. And and Roscoe, you've uh, you've provided me with, with lots of clarity and sort of lots of... Uh, yeah, I feel I feel better. I feel lighter for having had this conversation with you. So thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. And I likewise, man. I think you're a brilliant mind, and and you're like you're so young. I love I love seeing like such brilliant minds and be so youthful. So I can't wait to see where you are a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, man. You you are a star, bro. Oh, thank and you I appreciate so much. you guys. And real talk, you guys are my brothers. And real, real talk, I love you guys. Thank you so much. Likewise. 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 Also, um, before I end it, tell people where they can find you. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Um, so uh, at Roscoe Burnham's on all social media. So, uh, and I know people can probably see it at the bottom here. Uh, but R O S C O E B U R N E M S uh, on all social media. Um, and so, yeah, and then be on the lookout. I have another poetry and comedy special coming out that's going to be streaming at some point. Uh, and then I have Tromedy that is currently streaming on Amazon Prime and other uh, streaming platforms. They can watch that. Uh, and, and and yeah, that's uh, that's the gist of it. Thank you, brother Otis. Where people can find you? As, as you were typing it, I was just typing it and <laughs> knocking it into Instagram. <laughs> Thank you for that, man. Um, yeah, uh, so my name is Otis Mensah, that's spelled O-T-I-S-M-E-N-S-A-H, as you can see it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've got some uh, work on YouTube. Uh, I recently released a project called um, Otis Mensah Exists, which was very much about the the realization that we that we were speaking about uh, around vulnerability being usurped by capitalism and me realizing that I'm finding true solace in just adding to the archive, the lineage that is 
that is uh, the art of storytelling, the folk art that is connecting to a wider community through the oral tradition of storytelling, what that means on a, on a visceral, spiritual, human and creative level. So that, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a project of mine that's available on YouTube. Uh, again, it's Otis Mentor on Instagram and, uh, I've got, I've got a website, www.otismentor.com. If anyone is intrigued to reach out, please do. Reach out to him and please go get his book. He got a book that dropped. Please tell people about that Oh, book yes. Yeah, so I've got a, a, a debut collection called Safe Metamorphosis that is published with Prototype. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, we've got, I mean, I mean, I'm an independent poet. To, to a certain extent. So we've got many, an abundance of copies left. So you can get that on prototypepublishing.co.uk. Um, man, send me your address. Uh, can I send you one for as a, as a birthday parting present? Yeah, not, not, all, not, not all here. Oh, oh, no, 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 not online. <laughs> that would be a different kind of birthday present that you'd be receiving. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. just, yeah, just send it in the DM if you want to. But yeah, nah. sure, sure. <laughs> most was, definitely. We don't want people like popping up. <laughs> like, no, no, no. Most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. Safety first, eh? Yeah. Safety first. But I appreciate you, brothers. Thank you for for making this a memorable birthday. This is gonna be a birthday I will never forget because it's gonna be on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna remember. True. <laughs> All right, brothers, thank you. Another great episode of Dad is Not an Now, and we're out. Peace. Peace. So for you. Yeah, yeah. There whenever it matters and even more when you feel like it doesn't Protect you so you never feel like you wasn't Know I'm right alongside you, here but that I'm behind you But always got you, end of discussion, nothing means more First wanna offer his shoulders for what you preach for Thought I saw the eyes of the world until I seen yours And know that I ain't see a better view yet I'm with whatever, so don't ever you fret Know that you covered, not a hurdle or a heartbreak To change what a partake, cause none of them won't ever get comfortable in your walkway My job is to aware you, fully loaded Prepare you for all of the above that I'm never letting get near you. But still, in all, give you every advantage I found. Couldn't find a better fit for them along with my crown. And since the baton was passed, hopping down, cause feeling's not an option and dad is not a noun, not at all. My message to any dad, man, first off, know that yeah, it, it is a hard job, but it's the greatest job in the world. I wouldn't trade it for anything, I wouldn't change anything about it. Everything you're doing from here on out. If it didn't have purpose before, now it has purpose. It's the most important thing you'll ever do. Just be a dad.